Church family, if you're a visitor or guest with us here today, we want to let you know that this is not just, uh, we don't sing songs like that because we're trying to put on a good show. And we believe today that Jesus still really is alive. That God still really is the God who can step into our most broken moments and lift us up. That he's the God that can still touch the broken and bring healing. That he still is the God that can set people free. And if you're here this morning and you know that to be true in your heart and life, then let's give him one more big shout and praise the Lord that he's alive and he's real. Amen. Come on now. Listen. The Lord is alive, man. we got a lot to praise the Lord about here today. We are so thankful that each and every one of you are here with us uh, this morning for all of our uh, members here at Enon and also for all of our friends here today. It's great to see this great crowd. How about this big crowd of teenagers over here? Praise the Lord for that. And uh, welcome, guys. And uh, I'm just thankful you all have friends. That's so good. I'm really worried about that. So, hey, uh, again, we are... So thankful for each and every one of you here today. It's an honor that you've joined us. I do encourage you, if you didn't take a time to fill out that Connect card, please do that. That'll be useful to you uh, at the conclusion of the service. And we'd love to send you some information about our church. We're not going to sell it to Pakistan or anything. You know, We're not going to call and ask if your auto warranty is still, uh, is still working. So, uh, but uh, I do want to say that 20 year, over 20 years ago, somebody invited me to church. I mean, somebody invited me to church over 20 years is when Jesus Christ changed my life. And so this morning, as we pray about a God who is at work in the lives of of his people, we just want you to know today that we're praying that every person in this room today is that you come in contact with a real God who loves you. And so uh, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles this morning. If you have your Bibles, they're John chapter 15. If you don't have one, there's one in the pew there in front of you, or it'll be on uh, the screen. And as you make your way uh, there, again, I want to invite you all, uh, visitors or guests, at the conclusion of the service. Uh, my wife and I will be just at this door to the left. I'd love to meet you personally. love to pray for you. And I'd like to invite our men to come back tonight for uh, Man Church. If you listen to Rick and Bubba, you've heard a little bit about this ministry that has uh, been birthed out of them, that God's doing a great work there. That'll be tonight at 6 p.m men would love for you to come back uh, and hang out with us there. But with that being said, today uh, we're going to conclude a series called entitled, a sermon series entitled Abide, where we've discussed in recent weeks what it looks like to be in a relationship with Jesus. The first 11 verses of John chapter 15 has kind of been our guide on this series where Jesus used an illustration to teach people about a relationship with God. He used basically the picture here is that Jesus refers to himself as the vine. He refers to the Father as the vine dresser. People, we are considered branches in this illustration. And then fruit is what comes out of our life. Over and over again in these verses, you'll see Jesus calling his disciples and ultimately those of us here today to abide in him, which means to invest your life into following him and pursuing him. Him. So I want to invite you to look with me at these first 11 verses of John chapter 15. Beginning in verse 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. They gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, this is last verse is what we're going to focus on here today. Verse 11. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. The title of our message this morning is Abiding in the Joy of Jesus. Now, for honest today, we haven't heard a lot about joy in our society in recent years. And in fact, we've heard a lot of the opposite. We, we've heard a lot about sadness, fear, depression. It seems to be hitting its highest marks in our nation like never before. NBC recently reported a study that showed that people in the U.S. are more unhappy today than they have been in 50 years. The study found out that 14% of Americans say that, they, say that they're very happy. That's down from 31% who said they were very happy in 2018. That year, 23% said they had often felt isolated in recent weeks. Now over 50% of our country says that they feel isolated in recent weeks. The study gives some several potential reasons for why that is. First, it says that the public is less optimistic today about the standard of living and proving for the next generation than it has been in 25 years. Only 42% of Americans believe that their children, which, which, when their children reach their age, that their standard of living will be better than theirs. A solid 57% said that they expected things to be better in 2018. About twice as many of Americans reported being lonely today as in 2019. And not surprising, given all the lockdowns and everything we've been through in this last year. And then also, compared with 2018, Americans are about twice as likely to say that they have often felt a lack of companionship. And then other research shows that people have less trust in the government than ever before, And we've all seen how that has come into our society, how that's changed the mood of people around us with Facebook wars and all the different things that are going on around us. So it shouldn't surprise us today that the average person is sadder today than they have been in a very long time. On average, we are lonelier than ever, we are less trusting than ever, and we are less hopeful about the future than ever. Now I know what you're thinking, well thanks so much for that encouragement, Brother Zach. It's so great to come to church today. I will say I'm not trying to be Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh here today, okay? What I would say is I do believe that God is using this. And I do believe he wants to use this. I believe he's shown us in a lot of different ways how our hopes, our satisfaction, even our joy is based on things that are temporal and ultimately do not satisfy. I would say to you that God may be using the brokenness in our world today to point us to true abiding joy. That is not dependent on our present situations of this world, but is founded on the secure, unchanging hope that comes from a relationship with him. It is this type of joy that Jesus is pointing to in verse 11 where he says, So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. I love that he talks about fullness there. We're a society, we like to be full. We like full bellies, we like full bank accounts, and we ultimately we want to walk in fullness of joy. Now, we can have moments of joy in our life, but Jesus speaks about a joy that has no limit. The idea of fullness means that you have no lack. Now, I imagine all of us here today, when we read that, we could say, hey, there's more joy in Jesus to be found, and I want that. I don't know anybody else here today who would say, Zach, I just can't take anymore. I'm so joyful. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. 
The fullness of joy that Jesus is speaking about here is something that is supernatural. Something that we can only experience in Him. It is something that is real in our moments of great happiness, but it is also real in our moments of great sadness. And I want you to know something here today. There's nothing wrong with being sad at times. But Jesus can give joy even in the midst of our sadness and brokenness. Psalms chapter 30, verse 5, the psalmist spoke about the promise of coming joy for God's people even in seasons when they face great mourning. Where he says, for his anger is for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. This type of God-given supernatural joy is real, and I have seen it personally. One of my favorite stories of that supernatural fullness of joy is the story of a man, actually when I was the student pastor here who lived in our community, his name was Mr. Luker. Some of you may remember Mr. Luker. Mr. Luker had a, uh, a debilitating illness that ultimately paralyzed him at home. He could move his neck and head and he could speak, but he had no function of his body, but he could still feel his body even though he could not move it. His family had two young children, had a wife, and they would care for him in the evenings. And they had it set up for him during the day where he could be cared for when they would have to leave to go to school and go to work. But he would be at home by himself for hours on end. And so our deacons and our ministerial staff, we would regularly, we would go to his home just to visit him. And every time that we would go to his home to encourage him, we would always leave encouraged. This man loved Jesus and walked in the fullness of the joy of God like no man that I'd ever known. In the midst of, honestly, one of the most depressing and saddest situations that you could possibly see. I remember going to him one day, he loved to sing to the Lord, and I brought my guitar, and we sang some worship together, and I asked him, I said, Mr. Luker, is there anything that you want to hear? And he sat there for a moment, and he said, do you know that Imagine song? He was talking about the song, I Can Only Imagine. And so we sat there next to his bedside, we played I Can Only Imagine, and we sang, and Mr. Luker, his, his, joy, his face was fixed towards heaven, his smile seemed like it could not get any wider, and tears were rolling down his face as he was filled with the joy that was coming to him one day in heaven. Church family, I want to tell you something here today, that there is such a thing as real, abiding, supernatural joy that overarches even some of those terrible situations in life. Now, you may be asking here today, Pastor Zach, I want that. I want to know that type of joy. How do I walk in the joy of Jesus? Well, this passage actually points us to it. In verse 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. He's, re he's referring to this entire passage. He's referring to verses 1 through 11 here. So we're going to look back at these passages of Scripture here. And I just want to give us three foundations to walking in the joy of Jesus Today. So if you're keeping notes with me this morning, our first truth is this. To the first foundation to walking in the joy of Jesus comes when we abandon false sources of joy and abide in Jesus. This incredible passage of Scripture begins in verse 1 with Jesus introducing himself and the Father in this great illustration. He says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Now there's a lot to be said in this passage. We can't go into all of it. But ultimately, these truths are intended to culminate that we could walk in fullness of joy. Now, there's a couple major truths we need to see in this text. First, we need to see that the major takeaway from this verse is that Jesus is the source of life and joy. 
The picture of the vine and the branches, Jesus saying, I am the vine, is a picture of the branches being entirely dependent on the vine. We talked about this in the first week of this series, that the vine is what gives to the branches its nutrients, its moisture, everything that it would need to ultimately be able to bear fruit. And so as Jesus is speaking here about being the vine, he is saying, I am whom you can find life and nutrients. Everything you need comes from me. The branch can do nothing in and of itself. Jesus would speak the same thing about joy. In John 17, 13, he said, I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Jesus said, I came to give joy. In Isaiah 35, 10, the prophet spoke of the day that Jesus would come, even hundreds of years before he came. And listen how many times he mentions joy. He said, and the ransom of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion. With everlasting joy upon their heads, they will be filled with gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Simply put, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that real joy is only found in Jesus. He is the vine. But that's not what this passage ends on. It doesn't just end with saying that Jesus is the vine. He gives an explainer there at the beginning. He characterizes, he says, I am the true vine. The second major takeaway from this verse that we'll spend the majority of our time on here today is the fact that false joy, there are such things as false sources of joy that can hinder us from finding true joy in Jesus. The fact that Jesus begins his teaching here with the clear proclamation that he is the true vine is not only a declaration about who he is, but it's also a warning about what might cause his hearers to miss out on what he offers. In essence, Jesus is saying, run away from false vines and run to me. In the mid-1800s, Americans flocked to California for what was known as the gold rush. Thousands of people became very, very rich, but there were also those people who came out very, very poorly. There were people who found in their prospecting found what they thought was gold, and they went back and sold everything that they had so that they could have this piece of property so they could mine that gold, only to find out what they had found was called iron pyrite, which is fool's gold. They gambled everything that they had and ended up betting on something that was false, that wouldn't make them rich, but only left them further broken. And this is what Jesus is talking about here today. He's saying that there are true vines, I'm the true vine, but there are false vines, things that will leave you broken and more empty and will not satisfy. I want to give you three keys to being able to abandon false, unsatisfying sources of joy in your life. First, to abandon false joys in your life, you must acknowledge that false joys are real and that they are the things that are outside of the will of God. In our day, it's often frowned upon to say that anything in our lives that we do or desire to do is wrong and is ultimately not good for you. If you say that in some settings, it's even considered hate speech. Today, the sentiment is that if you desire it, then it must be good and good for you. However, the truth is is that God is the authority over our lives and over all things, regardless if we acknowledge Him or not. And when we do the things God's way we end up finding joy. However, when we end up doing things the way we want to do or outside of God's will, we end up finding sadness, emptiness, and brokenness. And I look at our next generation over here to, our, to my right, to your left, and guys, I would say to you here today is that there's a, there's a war in society right now battling after your hearts and minds, telling you to buy into things that you know something inside your heart says it's wrong, but I want you to know something here today that it only ends up bringing death and brokenness. 
Paul spoke about in Paul spoke about in Galatians chapter six verses seven through nine. He spoke to the Galatian Christians and encouraged them to do the things that please God that lead to life and joy, but also not to do the things that are outside of God's will that lead to death and brokenness. This is what he said: Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Now, what does he mean there? He's saying that meaning God is true and will always be true, and it will always be that way. For whatever a man sows, this is what he does. This he also will reap. For the one who sows to his flesh, these are the things that we desire to do, will reap from his flesh corruption, that is, death or brokenness. But the one who sows to the Spirit, the things that God desires us to do, will reap from the Spirit eternal life. He says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Church family, we need to know today that the reality is is in this world there are desires in our flesh and there are even those desires that are being propagated and announced and proclaimed in our society as that which is good and is satisfying but will only lead to death. But God says if we invest in the things that he says are true, that they lead to life. So today we need to know that you'll never find true joy without the voice and authority of God in our lives to say these things are good and these things are bad. We must acknowledge false joys are things that are real and they're outside of the will of God to be able to find true joy. Simply put, you have to identify the wrong way before we can start walking in the right way. The second way to abandon false joys in our life is you must identify the areas of false joys in your life. Let me give you two quick clues of how you can identify false joys in your life, which again are things that don't honor God and ultimately don't benefit you. The first clue to finding false joys in your life is that false joys are often life-taking instead of life-giving. They cost you something. When Paul was talking there in Galatians chapter 6, he talks about sowing to the flesh and reaping corruption. He's talking about corruption as that's what what ultimately uh, brings brokenness. It brings death. You don't come out better on the other side. A wise pastor once said, Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. I remember R.G. Lee, in his famous sermon, Payday Someday, he told the story about when he was the pastor at First Baptist Church in New Orleans, is that he got a phone call from a hospital that there was a man that was on his deathbed, and that he asked for the pastor to come and visit him. So he came to this man expecting to find a man who was on his deathbed, was ready to repent and give his life to Christ before he left this world in eternity. But instead he found an angry, bitter man. And he started to speak to him spiritually and he said, Preacher, I didn't invite you here today to try to save my soul. He said, it's too late for that. Dr. Lee tried to tell him that it's never too late to give your life for Jesus, but the man wouldn't hear it. And so finally he said, well, why did you ask me here? He said, I, I have done so many things in my life that have attributed to where I am today. His sin, his lifestyle, had attributed to an early death as a young man. And he said, and I've done so many things here today, and I know that you've got a big platform, and I know a lot of people listen to you. So I just want you to go back and tell them all that the devil pays in counterfeit money. He was saying, go back and say that there's fool's gold out there. Church family, I'd ask you, is there anything in your life today that you, that you run to for comfort, peace, and happiness that in the end has a price that must be paid, such as your health, your marriage, your conscience, even your intimacy with God? True joy in Jesus is never going to cost you something that God wants you to keep. You hear that today? True joy in Jesus is never going to cost you something that God wants you to keep. 
The second clue to finding false joys in your life is that false joys are often enjoyed outside of the presence of God. A good way to gauge false joys in your life is to ask yourself the question, can I thank God for what I'm doing and would I do this in the presence of Jesus? It's a good way to ask things in your life where you retreat to. Are there any areas in my life that I keep in the darkness? Any areas in my life that I keep hidden that ultimately I find some level of satisfaction and joy, some desire to do, but I wouldn't want anyone else to know that. Often these areas of darkness or the enemy loves to play. The Bible says that the enemy, that those who do evil, that they love darkness and hate the light lest their deeds be exposed. If you're having to hide something in your life, it's very likely a false joy. And then finally, to abandon false joys in your life, you must turn away from the false joys in your life and turn to Jesus. The bulk of this invitation from this entire teaching in John chapter 15 is seen in Jesus calling people to abide in him. Verse 4 is where we see this first. He says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. As we said in previous weeks, the word abide means to remain. It means to stay. It means to make your home there. And nine more times in this passage, Jesus uses the word abide. Essentially, what Jesus is saying here today, he is calling people. He's saying, come to me. Come and abide in me. Make your home in me. But let me say something to you here today. We also see all over Scripture that you can't abide in Jesus and also abide somewhere else. You can't go all in on Jesus and also still expect to have some areas off to the side that you're going to put your life in hope in. You can't say, I'm going to love Jesus and then also live and do the things in my life that I want to do. Ultimately, you're fully surrendered or you're not. Jesus said that no man can serve two masters. Either he loves one or he hates the other, or he'll serve one and despise the other. Jesus talked about Matthew chapter 13, verse 4. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found again and hid. And from the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The picture here is that before that man could have the joy of the kingdom of God, he had to first go sell everything he has. Now, there are several things that can help us abide in a joyful relationship with Jesus. Prayer, uh, reading God's word, going to church. But all of these things are secondary. All of these things are secondary to first and foremost us turning and putting our hope and our lives in Jesus. Us surrendering to give our lives to Christ. And I want to ask you that question here today, church family. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you turned away from false sources of joy or are you going full in on Jesus? Yes, there are things that we'll have to turn away. Yes, to, to go full in on Jesus, there's things that we have to say no to. But here's the deal today. You'll never give up something that you cannot. You'll never regret giving something up that you cannot keep to gain something you can never lose. And the joy, the true abiding joy in Jesus is something that you can never lose. So the first step to walking in the joy of Jesus is ultimately to re reject the false sources of joy and abide in Him. You've got to have a relationship with Jesus here today. Church family, I'd ask you this question. If you were to die tonight, do you know that you'd spend eternity in heaven? Do you know that your life is fully and totally surrendered to Jesus? If you don't know that today, then that's the greatest thing you need to be concentrated on this morning. That's the greatest decision that you could ever possibly make. The second foundation, though, to walking the true joy of Jesus comes when the purpose of our lives is serving the God who created us. 
Another thing throughout this passage is that Jesus refers to is that we would be, we, our, our, our fullness of joy in Him will come from us bearing fruit, from our lives bearing fruit for the glory of God. John chapter 15, verse 5, we see that bearing fruit is the end result of abiding in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. Did you hear that? If I am abiding in Jesus, if my life is fully and totally surrendered to him, then I'm going to bear fruit. What comes out of my life is going to result because my abiding in Jesus. And then John chapter, eight, uh, John chapter 15, verse 8, says what that fruit will do. In verse 8, he says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So ultimately, what's the greatest purpose of our life? That we abide in Jesus. And then what happens when I'm abiding in Jesus? My life begins to bear fruit. Actions, thoughts, and all of the things that come out of my life then bring glory to God. We need to understand today that the picture of bearing fruit for the glory of God means that the things that come out of your life in words, actions, efforts, and so on, that these things point other people to the goodness of the living God. In short, bearing fruit for God's glory means your life serves God and points others to Him. And I want you to know something this morning, church. There is no greater joy in this life than to serve the God who created you. It is what you were designed for. It's to bring glory to God. All of us were, were, were created for more than just living life. Getting married, having kids, making money, having fun, going on vacations, seeking to gain as much comfort in this life as we can before we die. Think about that. That is how so many people live their lives. Be as comfortable as you can while your heart's still beating, and then when you die, you've arrived. You've done well. When we hear that on the outside, does not something rise up within us and say, no, there's got to be more to life than this. And the truth is, is that's absolutely true. We were created for more than that. Andy Heiss, a dear friend of mine, he's the pastor of Desperation Church. I got to go this past week to their grand opening of their Coleman facility. He's a great guy. God used him in my life in a great way uh, in my teenage years. And I remember him telling the story before he came to know Jesus about him and his buddies hanging outside of the same club they went to every weekend in Birmingham. They'd get liquored up in the parking lot, and then they'd go in the club because it was cheaper to buy it yourself than to buy it inside the club. And they were having, the same, they were having this conversation in the parking lot with one another, saying, there's got to be more to life than this. A bunch of college guys who seem like they've got it got on top of the world, them looking at one another, saying, there's got to be more to life than this, because there absolutely was. And just a few weeks later, Andy found it on a Sunday morning as somebody invited him to church and he gave his life to Jesus. How many people to this last week, we watched the Braves win the World Series? I did. I, mean, I was fired up. Oh, but I was in it, you know. How many people went to bed that night, though, thinking about the history of what it looked like, to think about what it would mean to be part of a World Series team? I mean, it's all good things to be those elite athletes. These guys are written in the history of baseball. But how many people went to bed that night, turned off the TV, and said to themselves, I've never been a part of something special? The reason why we feel that there's got to be more to life than just going through the motions and the reason why we all long to be a part of something bigger than ourselves is because God created us to be givers and not takers. We were created to bear fruit and you don't eat yourself as bearing fruit. You give it away. 
to be a vessel by which God brings forth great things from our lives to point others to Him. When we do this, we walk in great joy because we're doing what God created us to do. And so many of us get caught in the rhythm of just doing life when there's so much more to life than just doing life. I remember Scott Smith, a friend of mine at our church in Arkansas, and He's a high-powered attorney at the Walton Foundation, which is the Walmart Foundation. And he works at the state capitol there and does an, an incredible job. He's got a, some beautiful kids, a beautiful family. And he was in my discipleship group. And we spent a whole lot of time together, Scott and I. And there were several weeks going by where Scott began to feel real dissatisfied in his life. I mean, as far as the outside, looking, he had everything going for him. But something was missing. Something was missing from Scott's life. One evening, I invited him to go out with me to give out blessing bags in the community. We're going to do things like this in the days ahead at Enon. We had a red box movie code in the blessing bag, an invite to church, and a bag of popcorn. And we would knock on people's door. We'd say, hey, we're from Summit Church. We just want to let you know that you're our neighbors and we love you. And hey, here's a movie night on us. And, and is there any way we could pray for you? Well, we started doing this, and Scott had never done that before, and he's kind of quiet. Well, we started having some incredible encounters. People that opened the door said, yeah, I do need prayer. There were people who were lost in their life and situations. We got to have some incredible ministry time. And before long, Scott was chiming in. And then Scott was leading a lot of these conversations. And we were on our way back to the car that night. And he was just on cloud nine. He was so joyful. And he got in the car and he says, Zach, this is what I've been missing. This is what my life is supposed to be about. Now, God didn't want him to go and quit his job as an attorney. God didn't want him to, to turn his back on his family. All those things he had responsible for and to do and to provide unto God for his family. But what he was missing was an avenue to just serve the God who created him. To just give glory and grace to him. To give praise and glory to him. And church family here today, we all long for that. We all long to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves, to serve the God who created us. So how do we do that? I want to give you three quick ways to begin serving the God who created us. First, to begin serving the God who created you, you've got to have a walk with him. You can't point people to a Jesus that you don't know. I mean, that's where it begins. You will always miss the purpose of your life if you don't know Jesus. So, Zach, that's a pretty arrogant, bold term. Well, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father, nobody gets to God without me. Nobody finds their purpose without me. So you got to know him. And I'll say this to you who are believers here today. You can know him, but also you cannot serve effectively and joyfully off of yesterday's working of God in your heart and life. You can't give them, yes, you can't give people yesterday's manna. If you're here this morning and you want to walk in the joy of Jesus, you want to fulfill God's purpose in your life, then you've got to be walking in intimacy with him today. You've got to abide in him today. Secondly, to begin serving the God who created you, you've got to surrender your entire life to him. Again, this comes back to going fully in. You've got to say, Jesus, here is my entire life. We're going to have in a couple of weeks a uh, Global Mission Sunday on November 21st. I'm super excited about that. Ladies, on that Saturday, we're going to do a brunch uh, with a ladies' brunch with uh, some friends of Kimberly and I that they are uh, grandparents now. But they spent 14 years on the mission field, raised their children in a communist country in Vietnam with the International Mission Board. And I remember hearing their story about how they gave, put their yes on the table. said, Jesus, I will do anything you want me to do. And then a few months later, they find themselves getting, on air, getting off an airplane in Saigon to go tell people about Jesus. 
Now, here's the deal. We hear those stories. We think, oh, wow, those are incredible. God, they're a, they're a level up. They're special. Can I say something to you here today? God expects no less obedience from any one of us in this room. That every one of us need to say, Lord, here's my life. You will never walk in fullness of joy without being fully surrendered. God, here's my life. If you want to send me to Saigon, God, I'll go. But Lord, if you want to send me to the kids, to the kids ministry, send me to go rock a baby in the nursery, to send me to go serve with student ministry, to send me to go get on disaster relief team, God, I will serve wherever, which is the third way to serve the Lord, to find your purpose. Just find a need and meet it. Begin to meet the needs around you. Come and talk to myself. Come and talk to Brother Donnie. Uh, begin to say, where can I serve to bring glory to God? And then lastly this morning, the third foundation to walking in the true joy of Jesus today is just to know the love of God. The last major foundation of this passage that Jesus clearly attributes to our ability to walk in the fullness of joy is seen in verses 9 and 10. Jesus said, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, we spoke at great length last Sunday about how to abide in the love of God. And I encourage you, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, go online or go to our podcast and listen to that this week. However, the anchor point for us to know the love of God has always been to go to the cross of Jesus. The cross of Jesus has become somewhat common in our society. We see it on buildings. We see it on jewelry. We see it on tattoos. But just because it's common doesn't mean it's known. You hear me this morning? Just because it's common doesn't mean it's known. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is what the Bible calls God's greatest demonstration of his love for humanity. Romans 5.8 says this, But God demonstrates his love towards us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want to give you three facts that you need to know about the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that enables us to know the love of God. The first thing that you need to know today is what Jesus did on the cross, his sacrifice on the cross, was a genuine physical event so that we might know the love of God. What Jesus did on the cross was preparing a way to bring us into a relationship with Him. But it had to be done in flesh and blood. Sin had come in Adam in flesh and blood. It had to be cured. It had to be handled and dealt with in flesh and blood. And Jesus was real, so He came in the likeness of sinful flesh, is what the Bible says. He came in the flesh. Jesus was real, and He really did walk on this earth. Every historian that is worth his salt, secular and Christian affirms that there absolutely was a man named Jesus in the time frame of the cross and the crucifixion. And he really was a teacher, and he was attributed by great signs and works. Jesus really did walk on this earth. Jesus really did feel the scourging of the whip upon his back that tore his flesh. The Bible prophet Isaiah said that by his stripes we would be healed. Jesus really did endure the suffering of the nails through his hands and his feet. Jesus really did undergo and endure the mocking and humiliation of those around him who cried out to him, if you really were the Son of God, take yourself down from there. Jesus really did under, undergo the suffocation of the cross. You know, not a lot of people know this, but crucifixion is not a death that you die by bleeding out, but it's a death by suffocation. As you are nailed to the cross, if you let your body go limp, then your abdomen collapses, your rib cage presses in on your lungs, and you can't breathe. 
The only way to get a breath is then through your muscles to put the weight on the, on the nails in your hands and your feet and lift yourself up so that you can take a breath. But eventually the pain in your hands and your feet gives way to you have to let go. And when you let go, then your abdomen then collapses again and you can't breathe. And so it is an agonizing death of back and forth, the strength of you raising yourself up and coming back down, raising yourself and coming back down. And that's why the Bible says in almost every gospel, the Bible says, and Jesus breathed his last. There was a moment, a point to where he could do this, endure the struggle no longer, and he died. What Jesus did on the cross was a real event. It was death. But what happened on the cross was more than just a physical event. It was a spiritual event. Jesus was bearing the physical suffering, but he was also enduring spiritual suffering in this moment. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness in God means to be right with God in Him. See, what happened is, Church family is that because sin entered the world, the Bible says that we're all sinners, that we were separated from a holy God. Not one of us could walk in the joy of God. Not one of us could serve God because God is holy and he had to be separate from us as sinners. But God loved us and didn't want to keep us in that situation. So he sent Jesus in the likeness of the sinful flesh. He never sinned. He never made a mistake. He was completely innocent. But yet he died a criminal's death. But while he was on the cross... The Bible says he makes this statement. It's such a holy statement that most translators of the Bible don't even translate it. They want you to hear it like it came out of Jesus' mouth where it says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, there was a moment there on the cross where all the sin of the world, for all of those who in the past before Jesus, who put their faith in a coming Savior, all of that sin came forward in time like a tidal wave. And then all of us on this side of the cross in history and all whoever will believe, all of our sin goes backwards in time like a tidal wave towards the cross. And in those moments, this great weight of sin met on the person of Jesus. And in that moment, the relationship between God and the Son that had never been broken, the Father turned his face away from the Son. And the prophet Isaiah said, it pleased him to crush him. All of the wrath of God that was due on us, God put upon his son Jesus and he bore the wrath of God. He bore all of our hells in a moment. And that's why Jesus said from the cross when it was done, he said, it is finished. Because in that moment, he had taken the cup of the wrath of God. He had drank it down completely and set down the cup. And he died. What Jesus did on the cross was not just a physical event. It wasn't just a spiritual event. But we need to know today that it was a purposeful event. Why did Jesus do that? Why did he go through all that? 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ died once for the sins of all. All of us here today. Every one of us. All of our sin was on the cross of Jesus. It's already been paid for. The sins of all. The just, meaning innocent. For the unjust, meaning guilty. And listen to this. So that he might bring us to God. So that he may bring us to God. We need to know that kind of love. We don't function well without it. When Kimberly and I first started to do foster care, I had to go through training, all kind of training to understand trauma, all kind of things that children will go through. 
And you find out real early that, that a, a, a child, a newborn, is, is, their brain is still developing. And as their brain is still developing, there's certain things that that child needs in order to develop properly. And one of those things is love and affection to be held, to be cared for. But after a certain amount of time, if a parent or somebody doesn't step in and give that child what they need, then there's parts of their brain that do not develop properly. And so they'll be scarred often for the rest of their life in some way. From the very beginning, God created us physically. Which, by the way, it's why we all need to be engaged in foster care and and adoption ministry to step in to care for those when others won't. The psalmist said, my father and mother forsook me, but the Lord took me in. We need to be the hands of the the Lord. But that being said, we still are very much the same way. We don't function well in life without knowing that we're loved. Can I tell you something here today? All of us have an undergirding need to know that there is a God who loves us and who cares for us. And you can only know that in Jesus. But in Jesus, you can know that. Think about the hymn that we sang earlier. When I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent His Son to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burdens gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. It is already provided. It has already been given. If you're here this morning and you're desperately searching for joy today, you can have that, but you can have that only in Jesus. So how do you do that here today? First and foremost... You've got to turn from sin and turn to Jesus. As I was preparing this last week and looking over this passage, there was something that the Lord laid on my heart to do, and I want to do it again this morning. I'm going to ask the instrumentalists to come, and as they come, as Brother Ken prepares to sing a song, we're about to close and dismiss, but as they prepare to come, I want to ask you this question today. Do you know the love of Jesus? Do you know today that God loves you, that He is your Savior and Lord? If you don't know this, again, I got invited to church 20 years ago and Jesus Christ changed my life. If you don't know Him here today, you can. The Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If we call on Him in a real and desperate way, Jesus hears us. Can I say something to you this morning? You can have come in here one person today and leave an entirely different person. And the only thing that stands between you and the God who loves you is not your sin. That's paid for. It's not your shame. That's done away with. It's not your failures. That is no more. The only thing that stands between you and Jesus today is just receive Him. Just to receive Him. So I'm about you to look on the screen. I have a prayer that we're going to put on the screen. It was back under my second point. And this is just between you and the Lord. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 that if we... Confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead. Which, by the way, that's why we know He is the Son of God. He didn't stay in that tomb. Three days later, He came out. And that's why we're here on Sunday, by the way, because we serve a Savior who's alive. Right now, by faith, would you pray this from your heart to the Lord? You can pray right there where you are. If you're a follower of Jesus right now, I encourage you to pray for the people around you. Pray that if there are those who don't know Jesus, that they would call it to Him right now. Listen to me, students, senior adults, everybody here. If you need to know Jesus today, call out to Him right now in faith. Say this, say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I need you. I believe that you love me 
and that you died on the cross for my sins. I put my faith in you. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and save me. And I commit to follow you all the days of my life. Amen. If that's you this morning, with every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment, I just want to ask you to do something. This is going to be between you and I. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. But if you ask Jesus to save you this morning, I want you to do one action of boldness. Would you just look up and make eye contact with me? Nobody's looking around the room. Amen. Just keep your eyes on me. Others in the room, is that you here today? Just keep your eyes on me till I look around. Amen. Others here this morning, is that you today? You say, Pastor Zach, I, just, I gave my life to Jesus this morning. Just don't be afraid. Amen. Anybody else in this room that you say, Pastor Zach, that's me. Again, don't worry about the people around you. Again, this is going to be between me and you. Would you just look up right now? Right there where you are. Amen. Eyes all over the room. Is that you here today? Just look up right now. Students, looking over here. Any of these students, did you give your life to Christ today? Just look up. Amen. Amen. Others here this morning. Amen. Anybody here today? You say, Pastor Zach, I gave my life to Jesus today. Could you just look up at me right now? Praise God. Praise God for those of you who gave your life to Him. In a few moments, I'm going to give you a way to respond. The first thing I would tell you to do is on that little connect card. If you just, if you don't rush out of here today, but if you can, just right at the very bottom of that little connect card, there's a place where it says, My decision. If you'll just check on there, I decided to follow Jesus today. And you could put that in one of these little connect boxes as you leave. Or as we sing here in a few moments, you can come forward and you can tell one of our pastors, and we'd love to celebrate with you today. If that's you, come forward, we'd love to pray with you. And can I say something else to you this morning? We got the baptistry water, it's already filled. If some of you this morning, the first step of obedience in Jesus is to follow through in baptism. And if you want to get baptized today, we'll go ahead and do that this morning. Baptism doesn't save you, but it's your way of saying to the world, I gave my life to Jesus. Can I say something? What Jesus did on the cross was pretty bold. You can be bold today and proclaim Jesus. You can leave here with a wet head and a a satisfied heart. Amen. I'll tell you another thing that you need to do. You need to serve. If you want to walk in the joy of the Lord, you may know Jesus. But I can tell you something. We can't put you in service here at Enon unless you're a member of the church. So this morning, maybe you need to come and join this church. We'd love to pray with you here today. Or maybe you've got some false joys in your life that you need to lay down before the Lord. As we sing this hymn of invitation, our pastors are going to be up front. If you need to respond, we encourage you to respond. Don't worry about the people around you today. You call out to the Lord or you come forward let us pray for you. You write it on a card, however God lays on your heart to move. Would you stand with us this morning? Father, we love you. We praise you. Thank you so much for moving and working among us today. May you be glorified this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Come now if you need to come as we sing.